Well, welcome. Good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here and really glad you're with us. And again, happy Mother's Day. And to mothers, welcome fathers, sons, daughters, friends, uh, those of you who just graduated and are here, family who are in town for graduation, those of you here that are sure of your faith in Christ, and those of you who are here and you're unsure of your faith in Jesus, we, we're glad all of you are, are here. We f- hope you feel welcome. Uh, we are in a series in Galatians uh, that is our third week, and we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read the passage for us, and as is our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. This is Paul's letter to the church of Galatia, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that, we might bring the, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Now let's pray before we get in. God, I thank you that you speak to us, that you've revealed yourself to us through the scriptures, that they are alive, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So I pray that you would cut, you would cut into our thoughts, you would cut into our hearts, you would cut into the way in which we live that may be counter to your ways and that you would change us and you would you would draw us and bring us to yourself lord jesus that your spirit this morning would speak to our spirits wherever we are however we come into this place that you would remove me the preacher so that christ might be exalted so that christ might be encountered we pray this in jesus name amen you can have a seat so as i said we are in the third week of our series in galatians which we've titled centered faith Paul, the apostle sent from God, writes with apostolic authority to the churches in the region of Galatia. Paul, if you don't know, was a a cantankerous character. Paul was a fighter. He did not fear dropping his gloves and fighting for what he thought was important. Growing up, I was not someone who got into a lot of fistfights, but I've always been pulled into watching a fight. I grew up watching WWF. I loved watching Mike Tyson destroy people in the boxing ring. I've always been pulled into watching a fight. Even this past week, I was on CNN looking at at news, and I saw a a, a headline that said, two people get into a fist fight on a Southwest flight. So I did what I would normally, I clicked on that button. Uh, And I'm wondering what would lead two grown men to go blow for blow on an airplane. Now, I only watched for 15 seconds, and 
I thought, these guys are ridiculous, right? I mean, some people will fight just to fight. Some people will fight for silly reasons. But there are people that come along who are fighters for something so important that they are willing to risk everything to fight for it. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the greatest American heroes, one of the great civil rights leaders. MLK was a fighter. He was a freedom fighter, willing to risk everything to fight for racial justice and equality. MLK's famous speech that everybody knows, I have a dream, ends with free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. Because King was a fighter, because King was willing to fight for the freedoms of the African-American community, the 1964 Civil Rights Act was finally passed. An act that proclaimed equality for many, but in particular for the African-Americans in a country that had long been their oppressor. Finally, there would be freedom, right? Wrong. Any of my African-American brothers and sisters, when honest, will still tell me in 2017, it doesn't feel like there is freedom and equality. Rather, there is still great racial injustice and inequality. Listen to me. Proclaiming emancipation and possessing freedom are two very different things. True freedom is not easily gained. MLK and thousands who fought for civil rights would attest to that. And once it is gained, it's easily lost. Paul, the great apostle, was set on fighting for the gospel to set Christians free. Paul was a freedom fighter, willing to risk everything to fight for a centered faith. But just because the gospel proclaims freedom, possessing and living into that freedom are two very different things. Those of you who are Christians know this to be true. You have been told you are free in Christ, free in Christ. Thank God Almighty, you're free in Christ. You do know that King's line came from an old gospel hymn, talking about the freedom that comes from the gospel of Jesus. But just because you believe and have been proclaimed free in Christ, it is easy to slip back and live in bondage. A big reason for the Galatians' difficulty to live into their freedom is that they had opponents who were sneaky. Verse 4 tells us that they slipped in to spy out our freedom, Paul writes. These opponents were acting like spies, sneaking in and fighting against Paul's proclamation of the gospel. Paul calls his opponents in verse 4 false brothers. They were sham Christians, pseudo-Christians, parading themselves as Christians but proclaiming a different gospel than the true gospel. These opponents were known as Judaizers, Judaizers, Jews, who had proclaimed to follow Jesus, but they were not true followers of Jesus. So the Judaizers enjoyed boasting in their identity markers or their badges of honor. Imagine on a graduation weekend. This is someone who likes to wear their school colors, boasting in, in where they're from, or this is someone who wears a lapel pin to show off their allegiance to a certain organization. The Judaizers found their identity in certain markers, badges of honor, rather than their identity being based on the grace of Jesus Christ. Acts 15, verse 1, reveals the badge of Judaizers. It says that their badge was circumcision. Their identity marker as a Jew, even as a Jewish Christian, was a Jewish custom, circumcision. So Paul is fighting for the truth of Christian freedom, 
The Christian identity is to be found in Christ and Christ alone, not any type of badge that one could flaunt. In Paul's fight for the church, we see two things that are at the heart of the gospel. This isn't a truth that Paul's fighting for. This is the truth Paul's fighting for. And the first thing we see that's at the heart of the gospel is a unified community. Look at verse 1. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, which was the center of Jewish Christianity, and taking along with him Barnabas, who was a Jewish convert, and along with him Titus, a Greek convert. Verse 2. I went up because of a revelation. God told him to go to set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So why did God call Paul to go to Jerusalem? The Judaizers, Paul's opponents, they're stirring up the church in Jerusalem. They are like spies following Paul everywhere he goes, and they are trying to propagate their own message. That Paul's gospel is different than the gospel of Peter, James, and John. See, Peter, James, and John, they're the big dogs. They were Jesus' inner circle. And so the Judaizers are not trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. They're trying to exalt Peter to spite Paul. They are attempting to divide the church. What they are saying is that there is Paul's gospel over here, and then there's Peter's gospel over here. And the Christian church at this point here when Paul's writing to the church in Galatians is only 20 years old. They are infants. And like any infant, Paul knew that if a disease and the disease of church disunity attached itself at an early age, it could destroy Christianity and destroy the church. So Paul was willing to fight. Now Paul could have written a letter to Jerusalem to say, hey, the gospel, hey churches, the gospel is the gospel of Christ and Christ alone, not badges of honor that we like to wave around. Instead, Paul, 14 years after his first visit to Jerusalem, goes back to Jerusalem, the heart of the Jewish church. And with him are two companions, Barnabas and Titus, a Jew and a Gentile. Paul is putting it in his brothers and sisters' faces to see if they truly understand the gospel. See, Paul's not visiting Jerusalem to see if they'll confirm the gospel he's preaching. He knows his gospel is the truth. He's visiting to see if they are believing and living into the true gospel. I mean, this would The equivalent of what Paul is doing here would be Paul walking into Birmingham, to Birmingham, Alabama in 1960 with a biracial couple and seeing how the church responds. Would the church welcome this couple or not? Is their gospel based on Christ and Christ alone, or is it on cultural realities and cultural pressures? We have to understand this, that the Judaizers are trying to make the gospel about Jew-Gentile distinction, those circumcised and those uncircumcised. And they are saying if one wants to be a Christian, then they must become circumcised. They must become Jewish. Catch that? The Judaizers were proclaiming a gospel of assimilation. That if you want to be in and if you don't want to be out, you'll look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way. You'll look and dress and act like a Jew. You Gentiles will assimilate to our culture. The letter of Galatians is partly about ethnocentrism. It's about turning a cultural distinctive into a theological necessity. Identity markers or badges of honor are still very prevalent in the church today. There can be no known and unknown pressures 
on people to culturally assimilate, to be in. The church today can use culture to determine who is in and who is out. People dress a certain way. If you wear a button-down, you're in. Come in wearing a hoodie, maybe you're out. You listen to certain music, you're in. You listen to certain music, you're out. If you graduated with at least a master's degree, maybe you're in. If you didn't even graduate from high school, you're out. We live in Durham. Here are some things that we can determine who's in and out in Durham. If you have a social cause, you're in. And if you don't, you're out. If you're a Democrat, you're in. If you're a Republican, you're out. Paul is willing to throw down for the truth of the gospel that Christ sets us free. Cultural bondage is not the gospel. The gospel creates a unified community. And instead of calling for assimilation, the gospel allows each person to be free to live into who they are and who their culture is. To know that what defines them is Christ and Christ declaring this person in, not what people say or if people approve of them. The beauty of the gospel is that based on this truth of freedom, it is multicultural. And the church can be multicultural if it believes this. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. Not an annihilation of culture and personality, but an enjoyment because of Christ and rejoicing that he brings us all together amidst our diversity. I feel like I use AA as an illustration of community often, but I have to because it's so good. I heard a story of a guy recently walking into an Alcoholic Anonymous AA meeting. One hour late. Meeting was almost over. And as he walked into the meeting, the whole meeting stopped. And everybody stood up and everybody started applauding. And they embraced him and they welcomed him. Ten minutes before the meeting was going to finish. The church can have someone walk in an hour late. Have someone walk in wearing the wrong thing. And we can turn and we can look and we can question with skepticism rather than embrace with a welcome. It's easy for Christians to knowingly and unknowingly feel like they have the right to determine who is in and who is out based on cultural badges of honor. Christ Central Church, our gospel is not a gospel of assimilation. It's not a gospel of cultural assimilation and majority of culture people, white is far from always being right. Cultural badges are not the only thing the church can use to determine who's in and out. We use spiritual badges. I mean, how often are you reading your Bible? What kind of method do you use reading your Bible? How, how does your church baptize? Do you dunk? Do you pour? Do you sprinkle? What modes or measures of evangelism do you use? How do you worship? Do people raise their hands or do people bow their heads? We use all kinds of badges spiritually to determine who is in and who is out. And this is pretty sad, but it's true. Mark Twain said if you put a dog and a cat into a room, they'd be fine. Put a goat and a duck into a house, they'd probably sort it out. Put a Presbyterian, a Baptist, and a Catholic into a room, there'd nothing be alive in 10 minutes. Christ central unity is at the heart of the gospel. It should be what we fight for on Sunday mornings, in our city groups, and in our life groups, within our homes, and within our neighborhoods. Whatever irritates you, 
would you set it aside for the sake of unity? The church of Jesus Christ is to be united around Christ and Christ alone. It's what Paul was willing to fight for. And the church in Galatia affirmed it when they embraced Titus. The second thing we see at the heart of the gospel for Paul's fight for freedom is not only a unified community, but it's a unified message. Look at verse 2. Paul in verse 2 sets the gospel for those who seemed influential, the big three, Peter, James, and John. The sham Christians are trying to bring people into slavery, into bondage. Verse 5, Paul writes, We did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In verse 6, And from those who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. It may seem like it's kind of, he's kind of, dissing Peter, James, and John here, but he's not. What Paul is saying is the gospel I am preaching is the same gospel as Peter, James, and John. They added nothing to me. Paul's proclamation that salvation is in Christ and Christ alone is the same message as Peter, James, and John. And it was confirmed by the three pillars of the church in verse 9. As they perceived the grace that was given to me, Paul writes, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The right hand of fellowship. This was a confirmation of Paul's message and of this gospel. The true message of the gospel is one and unchanging. There is no contradiction between the apostles. You'll hear today in certain academic circles, especially since the rise of biblical criticism, that John preached one gospel, Peter preached one gospel, Paul preached another gospel. They're all different gospels. Now, yes, they all had different spheres of ministry. They had different emphases at times, but their gospel was of one accord with each other because the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on the truth of Christ and Christ alone. The message of the Judaizers is that what Paul was preaching wasn't enough. He was missing obedience to the Torah law, to the Old Testament law. So the Judaizers were were acting and functioning like the Torah police. And they're coming around making sure that Paul was calling people to obey certain rules and certain laws. Paul is definitely concerned about obedience to God. But the reason behind Paul's obedience and behind the Torah police's obedience are very different. One obeys out of freedom and grace and the other out of fear and bondage. To obey out of, out of freedom and grace, we have to understand that there are no additives to the gospel. We sing sometimes in this church, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. True. We should also sing, my hope is built on nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If the Christian life and salvation depends on obeying rules, you will raise your rules, you will raise your traditions to places of non-negotiable. Therefore, you'll create your own system of legalism. And you'll say things like real Christians, people who get it, do things this way. They read their Bible this way. They give this amount of money away. They sacrifice in this way. You'll impose your rules on yourself and onto others. And let me just say this. Your rules, whatever they might be, don't drink too much. Don't drive this type of a car. Don't, don't, don't. It's way easier to obey than Jesus' command of love your neighbor. The call of faithfulness in the Christian life is not always black and white. Surprising, isn't it? It means we have to trust God day by day. 
and ask God what he wants from us this day and what he's calling us to. I mean, imagine that Christianity is about relationship with God and not about a checking off boxes of our own list of self-righteousness. Please be careful that you're not creating a system of measuring yourself and others as a way unto salvation. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, and out of that we're moved to obey. I recently heard someone remind me of a, a quote I heard a long time from Brett Favre, who's one of my all-time favorite athletes. Love Brett Favre, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Favre was interviewed after a game, and Favre said, you know, you're only as good as your last pass. You're only as good as your last pass. It's coming from who I think is one of the greatest of all time. And I find it quite sad. And I understand Favre, I think we have to understand that Favre grew up with a father who would always find something to critique in, in Brett. If he passed for 400 yards, six touchdowns, his father would be walking with him after the game and say, hey, you remember that, that curl right when the running back went out on the right side? Wide open, you completely missed him. No wonder Favre believes that you're only as good as your last pass. Living his life longing to have someone tell him, you're enough. Well done. Many highly successful people, driven people, like NFL quarterbacks, are driven by a motor that is fueled on feeling like they're never enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not you're only as good as your last obedience. You're only as good as your last performance as a Christian. Thank God in Christ we are free at last. And out of freedom, we are free to live in relationship and communion with God. Paul fights for this truth of the gospel. Unified community with a unified message. And all of it is for the sake of a global mission. Paul is willing to fight for unity and for this message because he knows that what's at stake is the advancement of the gospel to the whole world. The advancement of the church to the whole world. This offer of salvation. Look at verse 7. Peter called, was called to preach this unified message to the Jews, to the circumcised. Paul was called to preach the unified message to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. The mission of the church is to take the gospel of free grace to the whole world. Some will be called to certain spheres, others called to other spheres. Some called to certain cultures, others called to other cultures. Some of you will be called to live in different countries. Some of you will be called to have certain jobs, to live in certain neighborhoods. But the gospel preached and proclaimed is the same. We just have to learn how to contextualize the message, to connect it with that culture or that sphere. For we all have the same message. And saying this, I hope you're getting that there are no first-class and second-class Christians. Paul's call and Peter's call were equal. So if you live in East Durham, or you live in West Durham or Hillsboro, or you've been called to be a janitor or a house cleaner or an artist or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer. We've all been given the same message to take it wherever God's called us. Our mission, Christ Central Church, is to bring the good news of Jesus to diverse groups of people in diverse spheres of culture and to proclaim it in such a way that it connects with that group, with that culture, with that sphere. This is why the vision of the church in Revelation is every tongue, tribe, and nation. A diverse community united in love around a unified message of the grace of Christ. But no matter your call of vocation, 
or your call of location where you live. All of us on this mission, this global mission, have the charge, verse 10, to remember the poor. To remember the poor. Acts chapter 11, we see Paul being in Jerusalem. And Paul was there to help with the famine relief. It was a famine that caused many of the Jews to be poverty-stricken. And Paul, with the help of wealthy Gentile churches, were giving financially to the poor churches in the region of Judea. Helping the poor is not the gospel, but it is one necessary result of the gospel. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote that next to the proclamation of the gospel, it is the task of a good pastor to be mindful of the poor. Global mission is the proclamation of God's mercy and grace in Christ by word and by deed. The poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, those who are in any and all types of chains to proclaim freedom and liberty in Christ. It is our mission to love and serve and set people free from all types of bondage through Christ. From all types of oppression, cultural oppression, psychological oppression, spiritual oppression. So that all people might know the grace and love of Christ that is offered to them by Christ, in Christ and by grace alone. There is nothing less than this, and there is nothing more than this. In Him we are free. Thank God Almighty we are free. Will you fight for this? Will we fight for this? Let's pray. God, I ask that you help us by your grace to understand the freedom that we have, that we would be unwavering in our fight for the true gospel, and that it would move us, Lord Jesus, to be on your mission to proclaim this freedom and grace and to set the captives free. Lord, would, would your gospel fuel us? Would we be so centered on Jesus that we leave this place wanting to walk in relationship with you, knowing we're on a greater mission than we could ever imagine. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.